you know, you read a story or a book that engages you very quickly, the odds are very good that that author has the skill of creating images. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, Andrew, happy November. Boy, the time's flown by, hasn't it? Yes, it it has. Hard to believe we're coming to the end of 2020, and I hope that bodes well for the end of all sorts of 2020 things. Yes, yes, and opens up a chapter, a new chapter in our lives, right? And speaking of chapters, (laughs) today is, well, not today, this whole month, November has been set aside as National Novel Writing Month. Do you have you heard of this? Yeah, I have. But who in the world, number one, would get the idea to do that? Well, and I, number two, who in the world would want to try to write a novel in a month? <laughs> well, I was researching this a little bit more in preparation for this podcast, which, unfortunately, this podcast won't launch until a week or so into November, and it will already be too late to get started. So can I share with you some not, of the rules? Not for the procrastinators. <laughs> they can wait till three days before. Oh, but wait till you hear some of the rules. All now, right. there's actually two sets of rules, a set of rule for adults and a set of rule for children K-12. Okay, so let me just start with the adult one. And I will say procrastinator or no, there is no way you can write 50,000 words in three days because that mm-hmm. is actually what one of the rules is, is your novel has to be 50,000 words long. Now, I did the math using your math formula, Andrew, that you share. Mm. In how, how many, many paragraphs? How many paragraphs? <laughs> and so if a double-spaced page contains 250 words, you need to have 200 pages. That's almost a half a ream of paper to fill for 50,000 words. And for me, I'm about 150 on a good day, (laughs) if I'm being brief, 150 words per paragraph, because I can tend to go a little bit longer. My paragraphs are a little longer. So that means I need to write 333 paragraphs. Well, I think you could do it, Julie, if you made it into like an epistolary novel, Uh and you simply cut and pasted all the emails that you write for a month, <laughs> I'm guessing you'd hit 50,000 words. Well, I, I might be close. You're probably right. But it would not be a story. So we're going to get to the story part in just a minute because I'm thinking of how you teach writing stories. But first, let me go to the second category, and that's the K through 12. And this is the rules for the youth, you know, the younger kids. And they really don't have a minimum 
for obvious re- reasons, a kindergartner probably couldn't come up with 50,000 words. There's probably a lot of high school students that couldn't come up with 50,000 words. But what you do at the beginning of the month is you set your own goal. And whatever your goal is, there's actually a tracker on the website at nanoremo or nanorimo.org, and we'll put a link in the show notes. But students can actually set their goal, and the tracker will tell them how far they have to go in order to complete their goal. And I understand that the average is around 30,000 words, which is still a lot of words for kids to put on paper. It does remind me of that book report counting words mm. story. From your good man, Charlie Brown. Exactly, yeah. where I think it's Lucy is counting all the words. Well, now, is this a contest or simply a let's all do this together cheerleader kind of thing? Well, it's a challenge. And I know you're competitive and you're saying, what's the prize? Honestly, Andrew, I don't know what the prize is. Well, the so prize is you wrote a book. You wrote a book. And, yeah. you know, with all the opportunities now to be self-published, you could actually then publish your own book and I don't know, maybe sell a copy. But I'm reminded of that story. (laughs) To grandma. (laughs) To your grandmother or your mom. (laughs) But I'm reminded of that story that you share. It's not really a story, but when you're talking to kids and you're teaching the unit three and you say, how many of you have ever written a story before? Can you just kind of go into that? Sure. Well, I usually, you know, ask how many of you have tried to write a story and you Mm -hmm. went on for two or three or 10 or 20 pages and then you stopped and you read it and you said to yourself, this is not as good as I had hoped it would be. And I would say, you know, the super majority of students will raise their hand at that point. And then, you know, then we launch into what's the structure of Mm -hmm. the story sequence chart and how does that apply and um, why your story may not have been as good as you had hoped it would be. Right. And and that's a very simple way to look at it. It, it, I'm sure novel writing is a much, much more complex endeavor. Well, and one of the things, of course, that so many parents and teachers love about the structure and style writing method is that you break it down step by step. And so the elements of the story sequence chart actually can become the backbone of a 50,000-word novel. Well, sure. I mean, basically look at the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy, Mm -hmm. and it has one central problem. Right. How do we get rid of this blasted ring? Exactly. exactly. Uh, and then you have all these other little problems and conflicts mm-hmm. that come through, you know, orcs and defecting wizards and balrogs and getting wounded. And, it you know, it just goes on and on. So um, I remember hearing about an idea. I, I never really pursued it, but I thought it was very intriguing, which is the snowflake method. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know how a snowflake starts with basically one little structure and Mm -hmm. then there's a structure off each of those structures Mm -hmm. and a structure off each of those and it kind of goes out exponentially to the point where matter no longer can sustain this expansion of structures. Um, And that, that same idea that if you could put your concept for a book Mm -hmm. in one sentence Mm -hmm. and, and then that becomes 
you know, the first snowflake. And then you look at the elements of that and then you start building your right. characters and background. You start looking for themes to develop. You look for subplots and additional conflicts to develop and it just goes out from there. But that idea of, and, and I think we can see this in a lot of books, mm -hmm. which is there's one pretty simple thing to deal with. Yep. And yet a good writer can make that one simple thing not only exciting, but go on yep. for a long time. Well, and before we get into that, because, Andrew, that is exactly where we're going today on this podcast. And I don't know that we've actually called it the snowflake approach, but in just a minute, I'll introduce our guest that we have here. But before we do that, can you, just for our listeners who may not know off the top of their head, the story sequence chart, which all the structure and style for students Students could teach our listeners the story sequence chart because they've heard it many times and you ask them to memorize it. What is the story sequence chart? Well, it's based on Webster's original application of Mrs. Ingham's model to a three-paragraph composition mm -hmm. for his grade five students who wrote uninteresting stories mm -hmm. until he taught them. Uh, he went to his Aunt, Aunt Gertrude's house I believe, if I get the story correct, it was for Thanksgiving, which in Canada, of course, is a different time of year. Mm -hmm. And and he saw her little grade one students had written stories that he thought were better than any of his grade five students. And he said, you know, Aunt Gertrude, how do you get your kids to write such good stories? And so she drew out, you know, the basic thing, which is not new. I mean, good heavens, it's been around thousands of mm -hmm. years. I think, you know, Aesop probably figured it out. I don't know if he taught it to anyone. But you have characters and setting, which is your first main part, mm -hmm. or sometimes that's called the exposition, or in a super simplistic way, they would call it the beginning. Then, of course, you have the next part, which would be a, a problem or a conflict. This is often where children write stories, but they don't have a problem that is significant enough to create any kind of excitement or suspense or or engagement. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the third part would be the climax and resolution. Uh, so beginning, middle, and end, exposition, development, conclusion kind of thing. Uh, but then what, what we've understood and what Webster was teaching long ago is that you have to think of those things. And in order to think of those things, you need the litany of questions. Mm -hmm. So what questions go with characters and setting? Who's in the story? What are they like? What's their situation? What's their circumstance? What's their personality? Mm -hmm. What's their character? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, when and where is it happening? And then that helps to build the image for the reader. So you read, you know, you read a story or a book that engages you very quickly the odds are very good that that author has the skill of creating images in your mind so you see it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like you pick up Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, and bam, you're just there. Mm -hmm. You're in Narnia. You, you hear the crunch. You mm -hmm. feel you know, the cold air. You mm -hmm. see everything. And Lewis does it with a remarkable economy of words. Mm -hmm. And so that serves as kind of an ideal or a model and then the question for the problem, uh, you know, is you could say, what's the problem? Sometimes it's harder to figure out. So you might have a, a question that leads you to that, which is what is the want or need or 
who in this story wants something to be different mm -hmm. than the way it is. So mm -hmm. what is that, that need or want? We want to find the buried treasure. We need to escape the bad guys. Uh, we want to climb this mountain. We need to get rid of the magic ring. And uh, so then we develop that, you know, what do the characters want or need? What do they think? What do they say? What do they do? And you spin that through a few times, and then you can have various, you know, try one thing, it doesn't work. Try another thing, that doesn't work. Try a third thing. Third time's a charm, you, you know, go, and there's right? a kind of a fairy tale formula mm -hmm. that we take comfort in. Mm -hmm. Or in the case of a, a long book, you know, you have lots of uh, little subplots or mm -hmm. problems along the way or a big mystery and you have to solve one little problem to get a clue and another little problem to get the next clue and then you get enough clues and maybe you, you figure out what's going on or maybe you don't and you keep reading and find right. out. Then your your resolution, you know, how is this problem solved? And, um, and then there's the unspoken question, which is why even have this story? Mm -hmm. what, what kind of message or lesson is is it teaching to some mm -hmm. degree mm -hmm. and that's something I think uh, authors used to be perhaps more concerned with we have kind of a I don't know I'd call it a sitcom mentality which is it's all about entertainment and amusement whereas you know a richer story a more historically a more traditional approach to story is how can we you know engage people but also convey some value right. as well. Now, in our, our story sequence chart, we, we basically say, okay, three paragraphs, three sections, three mini chapters, and right. that's good enough. Obviously, in a novel uh, or even a long story, uh, you know, it, it's not going to be balanced in that same way. The, the exposition would be shorter, and then mm -hmm. all the development and conflict, that, that's going to be the huge bulk of the thing. Right, unless you use the snowflake approach, which this is where I'm going to introduce our guest today to our listeners. And he's not really a guest here at IUW. He is part of our project management team. He is involved in some writing himself. And Nathan King, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Julie. Appreciate that. So, Nathan, you, you're the master juggler who has so many things going at once with your, you know, here at IEW, your family. You have a, a great side business, Bible Quest, a, a game for um, learning more about the Bible and verses and all that. And you like to design games you, and, and you like to write, I guess. I do. I, do, I, I don't yeah. quite understand people who like to write. I mean, I certainly don't. It's just a chore. What's your experience with with story and telling what's your experience with telling stories so i have done i have done some writing i i enjoy the idea of building worlds i i like the idea of being able to give someone something that maybe they never thought of before or maybe be able to build a concept in such a way that it is compelling to them uh e even in a fictional construct you can you can give as you've already mentioned you know such powerful messages can be contained inside fiction. And, and I, I love that. And I, I, I also just love letting my imagination, you know, run wild um, inside what, what God has given me to create. And so um, I really enjoy that. I do like building things that have some, some attachment maybe to reality. Now, there's a, a great range on that. But for instance, in, in writing uh, fiction, I've, I've written some things about David's Mighty Men, 
uh, not not because it's actual events that occurred with them, but it was it was historical fiction around you know what they've what they accomplished um, at that time period. And, and and I've done greater works of fiction as well, but but I, I do like holding to something that has a, a higher value, I guess. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that that kind of struck me as as I've worked at IEW is the in in, in the unit three model. It struck me that there is a a plot arc there, and as I was thinking more, you know, as, as we have that rising action, kind of the climax, and then, then we resolve it. As I started thinking about that in terms of other longer works of fiction, it struck me that there may be multiple arcs within a single story. As I started thinking about that more and more, I realized actually that's that's kind of how it goes throughout a plot arc. It's not just a single rising action, climax, and then a resolution. No, no. It seems to be that there is a rising action, mini-climax, a little bit of a resolution that leads into the next rise. And so you almost have these multiple humps going all the way up the, the, the rising of the action to where we get to the real big climax in this larger story. And then the resolution itself could even have small bumps going down. And, and I realized the story sequence chart actually kind of gives us an outline for each one of those. What if we could string together many of them? And would that help students to be able to have a structural approach to actually writing a larger work of fiction itself? Not just the big story of, of, of the Unit 3 where we could flesh it out, although we could do that, certainly, but to actually give us the mechanical means by which we could build our keyword outlines that we could actually lead into them. For example... Of course, in the character uh, in this, the story sequence chart, you mentioned that you know the characters and setting. That of course leads into the we start talking about the problem, and we try to solve that problem. It leads to the climax, and normally we would then end you know with that resolution or that that moral result. But that moral result could itself be the introduction of the characters and setting for the next cycle, this next unit three cycle we might do. So for example, uh, Julie and I were talking about this and, and she proposed that we, we do an experiment where we actually break apart Princess Bride, the classic film, of course, from the 80s that is so beloved, and, and say, well, is this what actually happens inside a story? So I'm going to give an example, if I may, of how that works. I, I just want a point of clarification. Sure. Do either of you know if it was a book before it was a movie or a movie before it was a book. I'm assuming it was a book first. So it's my understanding that it really was a book. Uh-huh. And the book has now been rewritten to match the movie. Oh, my. Yeah, so it's kind of like a meta oh, story. Wow. Well, in the movie, it shows him reading the story to his grandson, I guess, or some kid. And, and then it kind of comes to life in his imagination and, and goes on from there. But uh, I will confess, Nathan, um, all of my children have been grown for quite some time. And none of my grandchildren have been around or are old enough to watch this movie. So I'm a little fuzzy on it. Uh, I only remember, you know, a few really important things like never wage a land war in Europe. But Asia. Oh, Asia. Asia, yeah. yeah. I, I remember that was big, you know, when the U.S. was going to Afghanistan, saying, you know, this brought down the whole Soviet Union, so don't do it. But anyway, well, okay, let's hear about Princess Bride. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, try, to, I'll try to give a, a good uh, explanation for maybe some of our listeners who haven't 
watch the movie either. Um, there, it, basically, the story centers around a woman named Buttercup, and her <laughs> yes, Buttercup, and her um, her love Wesley, and it's all about true love, and it's and it's it's you know a little bit. Uh, Stereotyped? Yeah, it's very stereotyped. It's it's over the top. I mean, with it's... Buttercup and Wesley, it sounds like a Gilbert and Sullivan thing, you know. But uh, yeah, but that's part of what makes it relatable. It is, and know? it's and it's it's fun, and it's um, it's fairy tale esque, you know. And so, anyway, Butter, Buttercup and, and Wesley. The the scene, the story begins, of course, as you said, in the real world, and you have this grandfather who's he's reading to his son. But we're going to start with the actual story that he's reading to his grandson. Um, and in this story, it begins with Buttercup and Wesley, and they're on a farm. Of course, now we have setting. We have characters, right? Uh, the problem comes that they, they fall in love, but he can't support her. And so he's going to try to solve that problem. He's going to leave and make his fortune. He's, oh, she's sad. You know, I, never, I don't think I'll ever see you again. And, but he's going to go off, and, and he says, well, you know, true love is going to last forever. Don't, don't worry. I'll, I'll be back, basically. And the, the story goes on, and, and the narrator tells us that actually— uh, it's reported that he's killed by the dread pirate Roberts. And so the buttercup is, is very, very sad. And so, of course, that is kind of the climax of this, this whole thing. The resolution of that right afterwards is that there's this, this prince who's, who's really full of himself, but he wants to marry Buttercup. And so because Wesley is dead, she agrees to marry this Prince Humperdinck. And uh, so Prince Humperdinck is, is going to marry her. Now, that could be the end of our tale, but really that now sets the scene Right is now we have characters and setting already in place for our next cycle, so we already know what's going to happen here. Um, but there is a result of all of this, right? This is kind of the moral result. And and in, in in the unit three, of course, we can have the moral of why have this tale on a much broader question. But in in our for our purposes for building a larger story, we might ask why did I have this little segment? And it's, and of course it's to it's to build the next segment, right? And so she finds happiness because of all these things that happened. She finds happiness only in her long rides out in the country, right? Now, that's the scene for our next problem. The next problem is that Vincini, Vincini, kind of this, this um, sly character that wants to, to start a war, he kidnaps her while she's out on her long ride, right? I mean, that was, the, that was the scene that we set. She's out on a long ride because of all these things. He captures her to try to start a war with, with, with her country. And, and so they... They uh, take her away. That's, that's the problem now. She's kidnapped, and she's got to try to solve this, so she's going to try to get away. Well, at one point, they have her on a boat, and so she sees this, this other boat approaching. The, the, the whole, the whole uh, gang of characters that have, that have kidnapped her see this boat approaching, and she uses that moment to jump into the water to try to get away. She's trying to solve that problem, right? And so in the meantime, these guys, they try to, they try to catch her, and they, they, they end up, they do end up saving her from these, these eels that are in the water that are, that are trying to eat her. They, they, uh, they save her from that, and they bring her out, and of course, the boat is now closer, right? Now we know that there's something closer that's coming, coming to, to is he, is he going to help? Is he going to hurt? We don't know. And now we set this scene, though, because they now arrive at these cliffs, and then we are at this new scene, that is now before us, where they have these cliffs they have to, they have to surmount. And so Vincini, this evil character, he's going to use his, his crew to take Buttercup up the cliffs, but this guy follows him. So we now have a new problem. This guy is now following. Vincini has a problem. This, this character that was on the boat, this enigmatic character, they don't well, know who we, he is. We have to stop and think about the message so far. Sure. One of which is don't jump into water with carnivorous eels. There's so many morals <laughs> that we can draw every moment as we go through. 
but but anyway, but you see how these cycles could happen. They they, they drive the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, Fesic and Indigo, who are some of these other characters that that Vincini has has uh, acquired along in his journeys, they face off against this man in black. He's actually the the Dread Pirate Roberts, as we find out later. He's the Dread Pirate Roberts, and every single one of those, there's a conflict. They they try to solve it, and then there's a resolution. Then we move to the next conflict. Every single time we have these cycles that happen over and over again. And it was profound to see that because it was very, I, I could see how step by step, maybe I could write a novel in this way. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a, a theory as, I, as I've looked at other pieces of IEW, I've seen in the Unit 5, you know, we have this, this event description. You know, if I'm trying to describe maybe a battle or something, maybe it's, maybe it's not a Unit 3 in, in, the, in the strictest sense, but it's describing what's happening. Or maybe it's travel. You know, for, you know the, the Lord of the Rings, as they're traveling from, you know, one place to another, I could do a Unit 5 to do that. Or if I'm describing a place, you talk about this uh, in, a, in, a, in a very, very um, detailed and well-developed form in Structure and Style for Students, our, our new, you know, video program. In levels A and B, you use that specifically to talk about describing a place. And and there's a place for that inside a larger story. Well, and the trick, I think, is – and it's interesting you bring up Unit 5, writing from pictures, because kids who have a big imagination – and we, we certainly had a few in our, in our classes uh, – they see things in their head, but they need to – refine the skill of using the words that will move the image from their mind into the mind of the reader. And that's what's so amazing is because the words actually do that, but you need to have enough words and a way to put them together to move the image. So, you know, a a young boy may be seeing a battle in his brain but the only word he knows is battle. And he says there was a big battle. Rather than being able to expand that idea, uh, of course, again, back to the litany of questions uh, and the power of vocabulary that, that enables that more precise reconstruction of the vision. I think of authors like um, Edgar Allan Poe, who... You know, his short stories are relatively simple, but the imagery is very, very powerful, sometimes a bit on the dark side. Uh, but, But his use of words to bring you right into that room and be there with the character. And that's that's a hard one to develop. So I think, uh, yes, we're looking at the value of kids writing from pictures, maybe kids writing from movie scenes as well, because they have to reconstruct in their memory, find all the words to get that down, and and have it be communicated. It's not easy. Absolutely not. And I think it's really interesting to bring up that point. I, I, you know, Edgar Allan Poe being a, a quintessential example of being able to use such incredible style to, to set some of those those scenes. You know, I mean, he's, he's able to bring in my emotions and my, my uh, senses to that location or, or into the setting that he's trying to create. And of course, at the same time, though, I also just, I, I, I like the brilliance of IEW's method to be able to structurally set up those different things we're trying to do inside that story, yeah. whether it's a three, a five, or a seven, you know, or, or some combination thereof. 
you know, we can actually use IEW not just for, for smaller compositions. As you mentioned with your, like, Unit 8, you can bring out, uh, you know, an expanded essay. You can bring out a super essay and even the behemothic essay. You know, there's, there's, there's some sense where the same kind of strategy could be used with these other units, Units 3, 5, and 7. And I have a, I have a suspicion, I have a theory that if we were to go grab Twain or, or Treasure Island, maybe Christmas Carol, uh, yes, Princess Bride, maybe movies, you know, Star Wars, you know, something like that, I bet we could identify IEW structures inside those. You know, I, I, it would be interesting to do that because I could think we could see how the author used various strategies throughout their story. Uh, you've mentioned Moby Dick and how long he, uh, or how, how arduous a task he undertakes to explain waves, you know, for like two pages or, you know, something like that. And, and of course, that would be, you know, something uh, akin to a Unit 7 uh, or maybe, a even, maybe even a Unit 8, depending on how you want to look at it. Well, I think um, kids today are particularly attuned to the idea of having a, you know, having one story that then kind of starts to wrap up and then that leads into the next conflict. Only the authors these days end the book right Mm -hmm. there. So then the kid's like, I have to get the next book in the series. (laughs) I can't wait. And that, you know, of course, drives the profitability of it. But, you know, the old authors used to do that. Um, Dickens' novels came out in serial, and people would read one chapter in the newspaper and then be anxiously awaiting the next edition of that newspaper. Absolutely. And, and the stories, you, you wondered what was going to happen. I do wonder if it's possible that those stories ended right as they were introducing the problem, right? In the story sequence chart, that we act, they actually, maybe they didn't quite finish that last unit three, and they stopped with the problem, and that itself created a cliffhanger. Or, or just the alluding to, the hint at, yes. uh-oh, the next dark thing is around the corner. Exactly. <laughs> so I, we are out of time. Our timekeeper has already said, we're out of time a few minutes ago. But I did want to just invite our listeners to, you know, not only think about this and maybe next November, see if you can get the story sequence chart, which is a three-paragraph model, written 111 times to get 333 paragraphs. To no. Get, I think that would be a bit much. But yeah, yeah. but I am thinking, you know, for our for our listeners who maybe are younger, who are in in school age and they would like to contribute their writing to our Magnum Opus magazine. So we publish a magazine of great works for students. And it's not just November. We do this every month of the year where we are focusing on specific units. But to be able to give students a place to have their great work published. That's good. But we aren't going to fit in any 20,000-word novels, just so the listeners are clear. (laughs) Tis very true. Or even, yes. But there's plenty of opportunities, of course, to submit writing. And we have heard over and over again, Andrew, have we not, how our students, because they learn to write this technical approach to teaching writing, they can take this into anywhere that they go. Well, and I would say, you know, at least once a month, if not more frequently, I get an email from some young person somewhere or a couple young people who said, I came to your class a few years ago, or I watched your video, and I'm writing my novel. Can I send it to you? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah, of course, I, I don't necessarily read all of the things that people send me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is delightful to see their 
excitement about that. Yep. And yes, there is clearly an intuitive leap that happens when you build up a this critical mass of understanding of you know our nine units and stylistic techniques uh, that really energizes the student who then has the vision of I want to write a book and I think now I know how to do it even better exactly exactly so they know how to write a good story we I hope, like that we hope so thank you Andrew thank, thank you Nathan you. thank you Nathan Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. <laughs>